Hi everyone and welcome to the next episode of Beyond the Red Bricks podcast series. Today we have Mr. Sijan Pal Singh who is a 2009 IIM Ahmedabad graduate and was also a gold medalist of his batch. He has worked extensively with Dr. APJ Abdul Kalam and has vast experience in public policy. Hi Sijan, thank you so much for joining us for this talk. Uh, really excited to have you here uh, for this venture of ours. and also you one of the first uh, alums to be a part of this uh, initiative thank you so much thank you uh, sana and thank you devansh for inviting me over it's always uh, a pleasure uh, to be back uh, virtually with the campus and you guys also have got a campus behind you i still remember that uh, library and especially those lawns and how people used to play frisbee in it i don't know whether they play it anymore but they do. that's <laughs> so we started that so it was uh, something which was invented in my batch it seems right but uh, always a fabulous experience and thank you for inviting me over it's it's always an honor i hope uh, that how's the covid time treating you basically like how's it going for you well you know there's a story that if you face a lion uh, somebody asked a question you know what do you do when you face a lion so the person replied but the lion decides what to do you don't decide right so covid time is a bit of that but see i think uh, uh, it it seems to be you know in delhi i'm in delhi right now i don't know which one of you is from delhi or both of you but if you're from a large town the conversation we used to begin with uh, how's the traffic right so yeah. now the conversation begins with how's the covid so that is what's happened so from traffic to covid the conversations have shifted um, well covid is what it is and sometimes in life you have to take things the way they are so it is a old chinese proverb which says that no chinese proverb is almost contextual here <laughs> right so there's a old chinese proverb which says that if you don't like something you change it if you can't change it then you change the way you look at it so i think uh, well there's a lot of uh, you know bad things to talk about covid and we can go on i've done a lot of lectures on that but uh, there are also some brighter spots i think people as a family have come back together uh, the environment uh, has shown that you don't need to do much to heal the environment the environment can heal itself as long as you don't stop it from healing itself so a lot of experiences have happened uh, we have grown used to platforms like this uh, you guys are sitting in separate cities but it feels like you're sitting in the same lawn uh, but that's what it is uh, and uh, we are all sure uh, beyond a doubt that we will cure this disease because we have cured every disease in the past but i think uh, the bigger disease to cure is uh, is what is uh, what covid has shown us is uh, that human uh, human tendency to ignore the obvious threats and covid was one of them actually but there are many others and i think uh, we awaken to a society and a culture which is not driven just by consumption but by sustainability and where uh, you know uh, the whole belief system that consumption leads to happiness uh, has been proven incorrect you know uh, so i think we find new meanings to happiness new ways to live life new ways to be in symphony with our surroundings and i think that is the true way to joy and bliss and happiness and it, as young students and I, it's been 10 years a decade between me and you uh, i think that matters and i think covid has just highlighted that fact right right absolutely right so uh, just to begin on that note like uh, while we went through your profile like your all the all the things that you've done in public policy your career and everything is uh, well known uh, to a lot of people but uh, the point that when we when we tried reading about what you've done in ima that itself is something that stands out so well like you were the batch rep you were the general secretary you were a gold medalist i think all ticks were there so and also like a well uh, a job from a well coveted company then uh, 
we just had this question then how did you actually land up in public policy oh, how did i land up yeah But in, in life sometimes you choose things and sometimes uh, sometimes uh, things choose you so uh, for me it was uh, probably a mix of mix of both uh, because uh, not that i was never interested in public policy when i was in iim ahmedabad in the first year we uh, we started this thing which uh, which sort of has restarted in a way which was the public policy group uh, that was the first time somebody started it i, I assumed that it died and then it has been respawned now which is a great thing uh, but see the belief is that public policy is a very important domain because as as young people and uh, uh, especially you guys now you know you you are going to lead not only the corporate world but the way people think the way people consume the way people are treated in a democracy and all those things are important your role is not just to uh, you know uh, expand the bottom line you know which means expand profits but also to make a better society and i want people to believe that as youngsters in your early 20s or mid 20s you have the power to do something you might not be able to change the whole world but you can change the world around you and i think understanding the public policy the public administration there are two different things by the way administration and policy are different things understanding those things are very important especially from the context of a democracy where we live and i think uh, when i was in first year that is how we started off uh, i also worked with the uh, the first social entrepreneurship fair uh, which you know probably happened across india i can't claim it but that's how it seemed it was called pratyarpan i don't know whether it happens now we started that uh, we got uh, the enterprise solutions to poverty where we got teams from harvard to work with uh, teams from iim and i think that went on till year before last at least somebody worked with me who had who had uh, taken that as a subject uh, and several other things you know the the beauty is that you uh, when you are a student of iim i think there's enough bandwidth in you in terms of your brain power in terms of how cross learning platforms you can apply in, in fact some of the professors would be very interested to help you in these things where you can actually be a, a significant part of national policy making in some way or the other so i think uh, it's not just a matter of choice is also a part of responsibility you know one thing which dr kalam used to tell me and i worked with him uh, that was uh, you know something which happened from iim ahmedabad was that you know when you are when you get great education when you get great degrees when you get uh, a medal or something whatever else you also get a sense of uh, responsibility to use all these things for uh, bettering the the world in which you have uh, you're living uh, in a way you're fortunate you you extremely all of us should admit that we have been extremely fortunate to receive the education which we did of course you're talented to land up where you have uh, but uh, there are enough talented people in the world as well so you have to treat your good fortune as also a great responsibility and if you have the power the uh, the audience of the world the respect of the world you you must use it to make a better world and i think if you don't do that you are doing injustice to everyone including yourself to begin with so i think that's what it is and uh, don't get you know the one thing i learned is that you should not let yourself be defined by the parameters which maybe the society expects you you know the society may expect you if you coming to iim you have to be a corporate honcho after some time you know all what matters is what job you get out of it but that's not true that you are also an individual which which is very unique you you may be an odd ball and that's great use it have to do something right who's next okay so uh, so yeah <laughs> no so one of the questions that i had in mind was what is and that i like to ask generally to people who are uh, who are involved in policy or or other non unconventional fields is that what is your opinion on maximizing stakeholders wealth but uh, you sort of did answer that 
is there anything that you'd like to add stakeholders well that's such an i am in the bad like term no exactly i mean we are conditioned to it right yeah, so, so that, that is why that's, you, that's what you need to do deva see there's a ground reality and believe me when i went out of the campus i realized that there's a lot which you need to learn you know those red walls are great but you need to look beyond you know beyond those windows as well and figure out the world which is beyond that you know confinement sometimes and this is how education is not just about uh, your post grad it's about your grad it's about your schooling we tend to present a picture which is not necessarily true you know if you think that uh, for example you know one of the things is that somehow if people become rich they'll become happier that's not true statistically there's nothing to prove that right happiness is caused by a variety of factors and they may be very unique your happiness is different from her happiness different different people different happiness we tend to sort of get into this uh, no matter how much you try education tends to mold you like everybody else you know even if it's the best of institutions what is trying to do is that is trying to benchmark you against something so that's all education is about for hundreds of years education has been like this you benchmark yourself against what is being taught you benchmark yourself against the teacher you benchmark yourself uh, against the right answer and then in, when you step out in life you realize that right answer there's no such thing as right answer there are optimal solutions which makes everyone happy to some degree and or at least the maximum number of people happy to some degree and also you're not there to make people happy if you are in public policy you are there to make people have what is good for them in the long run and in the short run they may it may not make them happy it may make them very sad it may make them angry and we have had examples i'm not obviously going to go go into political side of it because then it becomes politics but there have been so many examples i can talk about in the past one year where great things were being done and it made some people extremely unhappy and there was widespread issues about it but as a policy maker or as a policy advisor or as a policy analyst or a researcher we have to scratch beyond that very obvious fact so when you say maximizing the stakeholder uh, benefit i would say maximizing stakeholder welfare right and even within stakeholders there are priorities which which you know some urgencies are bigger than other urgencies you know somebody is dying out of hunger for example this covid crisis if you look at then people who were displaced and who are working barefoot for you know 1000 kilometers or so uh, giving them uh, welfare is extremely important compared to somebody who owns a big industry and right now can absorb that shock you know somebody comes from cake to bread is fine but if somebody loses his roti that's an urgent priority to me and that prioritization is extremely important sometimes economics does not teach you you know microeconomics is so supply demand driven that there is nothing left for compassion and the world runs on compassion the world doesn't run on prices if you know the first assumption of economics is a perfect market everybody knows everything but that never happens that never happens you know i've been discussing so much about say the data privacy bill and if you look at it then because your information is not the same as the company who you are giving the information to free economics will never apply so that is what you realize that in life you have to find optimal paths compassion is important emotions are important people are not driven by rationality and there's nothing wrong in it you know your your you have to understand that people are driven by emotions emotions are an extremely important topic sometimes we ignore it you know we become too scientific in our way of thinking and and that almost borders us to the point of being arrogant that because we believe 2 plus 2 is 4 and somebody says no it's 5 for me we say no how can it be so wrong because scientifically i'm taught that 2 plus 2 is 4 but that's not what it is you have to look at his emotions right 
And that, I think, is the biggest lesson which uh, you will come across. Uh, public policy cannot be objective. It has to be driven. It is for the people. And for the people, it also means understanding the compassion of the people, understanding of the welfare of the people in long run. And leadership is not about appeasing. It's about doing what is right and not what appears to be nice. Right? Sometimes what appears to be nice is not what is right. Drawing from this, uh, uh, what, what advice would you want to share with Tugu who are interested in policy in current age India? Well, I think if you are interested in policy, first thing you need to understand is that uh, uh, accept the fact that there are people who would know policy better than you do. They may not come from uh, great institutions uh, in terms of the rankings in magazines. So they may not be from IIM or anywhere which you know starts with an Indian. Uh, so no IIT, no IIM, but there may be people who have grassroots level experience. You have to respect them for that. See, you are great at whatever you are good at, but somebody else may have a better experience than what you have. So first of all, you should have the humility to understand that you can, uh, you have to go back to being a student. And that is important. Second is that, uh, as I said, if you want to get into policy uh, or you want to, if you're interested in policy, understand people. Understanding the, the way the society works, the way people think, what matters to them is extremely important because you may assume that this is important. Don't assume, don't, don't judge for what, uh, you know, for everybody. You're not the judge, right? So you have, to, you have to do your own research and you have to do a lot of reading, right? A simple, you know, we talk about policy, see, I was just discussing, this is the whole bill I've been discussing, data protection, 50 pages is there, right? Inside it, there are 50 pages. And you have to read it. You have to read all these things. And these are complex items. And you have to read every word of it. So that is what you need to do. And you have to have a solution-centric uh, approach. Don't become a critic of everything. It's very easy in life to become to criticize everything, to become a judge for everyone and an advocate for yourself. So even when you are working with policy, do understand that uh, there are no there are no perfectly right solutions. There are optimal solutions. And there are incremental things which you can keep doing on it. Right. So those things are important and you have to read a lot because most of the people who come to the system in IAM have come through a path where uh, you're not really exposed to too much of policy unless you're coming from a political science background or something like that. So it's pretty new to you, which is a great thing because then you think in ways which nobody else would. Uh, but do have the humility to sort of go through your text pretty well. Uh, sometimes I, you know, when I have discussions on policy with uh, not just IAM, but I'm generally talking about students, I tend to find that uh, the reading has not been done. So sometimes that reading is missed. So you should read, uh, you know, and it's important because every word matters. You know, sometimes you have to think like a lawyer, like every word matters, not just, uh, you know, you skim through it. So that is something which is important. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's about it. And keep debating and don't feel uh, bad if you're corrected. Don't feel bad if you're proven wrong. That goes for any process of education. So I think uh, they should do it, right? Yep. Who's next? So, so while listening to one of your talks, you also spoke about how, um, and this is the talk on immortality itself. Uh, so you talk about how you're working with arguably some of the most advanced technology that India currently has, right? And uh, it is bound to be that there would be certain problems with that. What sort of problems do you face in that endeavor? And how do you go about uh, bureaucracy also at the same time? Okay, these are all... Uh, Three questions into one. Okay, so uh, what? I, so let's take it one by one. The immortality. I think uh, that's a TED talk you're referring to. 
Yeah, so that actually, if you, if you watched it on YouTube, then that has been clipped after 18 minutes. So there's a lot after that. There's rather 18 minutes after that, where I actually talk about how you can get immortality. So they sort of cut me off at the premise of what is immortality. Uh, but what I was talking was more on the uh, region of immortality and Im not immortality. So immortality means that people will choose when to die rather than uh, people becoming, uh, you know, you have to forced to live forever. Right. So that is not uh, the idea. Uh, because that would be cruel, right? If people are forced to live forever, that, you know, then it raises a whole, whole new issue of human rights. Uh, you know, if there's a right to life, there may be a right to death, who knows, right? But what is happening is, uh, statistically, if you talk about that, the world, the world mortality has grown for about 32 years. So average lifespan was 32 years in 1930, uh, 1900, and uh, it is now about 70 something years. Right. So it's already expanding to about two and a half times. And thanks to two or three things, the germ theory, antibiotics, uh, and uh, you know things like access to electricity and so on. So you have basically people are treated better and wars have gone down, of course. So those things have happened. But now that of course requires dealing with a whole spectrum of technology, which may include things like uh, organs, which can be printed using DNA ink, could span into things like uh, how you can store the consciousness of a human being, uh, which includes the memory into a, a device. And then maybe you can live like Super Mario in the game. You know, and, but that raises a question, what if you're already living in a game? So that's a philosophical question, which you can choose to answer anytime. Or uh, even a cryogenic freezing, which is the preferred method in case we want to send astronauts over distances spanning light years. Uh, now, we don't know. We've really not discovered too much about uh, this thing. We know that there are things like bacteria which can go into spores. We know plants have seeds. Uh, can uh, an advanced life form, or so we call ourselves as advanced, can also be sort of stored as a spore and then restored when you, you know, reach your destination over millions of years. We do not know. See, now that's the first part of the question. The second part of the question you just talked about is about me dealing with technology. So it's not just Indian technologies when, when you know, I was obviously a technology advisor to Dr. Kalam and Dr. Kalam was, well, he was a man of science um, par excellence. So when I was dealing with him, when I was working with him for like six years, uh, I was also dealing with a lot of high-end technology. Now, some of this I can tell you, some of that I can't tell you. But the, from the one which I can tell you, you know, uh, things uh, including, uh, you know, we were working with bosons, for instance, a class of bosons called neutrinos we were working with. Uh, and then they were, we were working at Fermilab, which is, uh, which is again, you know, deals with bosons. Uh, bosons are interaction particles. So, for example, if, uh, if there are two bodies and they are experiencing gravity, how do they get to know that this body is gravity attracting me? Or when two magnets, suppose south-south pole, they are repelling, uh, how do, how, what is communicating between the two so that they are moving apart, right? We, and, th and these things can even go in vacuum. So what, what is the interaction particle? So interaction particles are called bosons, right? Named after one of the Indian scientists, actually. So we were working with all these things. We were working with space-based solar power. We were working with, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, energy independence mission and so on. Many things, algae oil, whatnot, right? But I tell you what, I have, uh, technologies have, technologies are very scalar quantity. If you're an engineer, you'll understand what I'm saying. Technology is scalar. Science is a very scalar quantity. It requires human consciousness. It requires uh, it requires character, uh, and it requires purpose to make that scalar into a vector. Right? In 1945, we split an atom, and you know what we did? We bombed two cities. Right? And it took another nine years for us to actually make a nuclear power plant. 
right? So we have this tendency. We've already done fusion power, but we've made a bomb out of it. Nobody has made a power plant out of it. So we we tend to sort of, if technology is not guided by character and purpose, it tends to go haywire. So one thing I can tell you is that when you work with all these kinds of technologies, you must know that all these things should have a purpose. And the purpose has to be bright and good. And that is where you need to go beyond science to find that purpose, right? That is where science and spirituality live together because science unhinged is, is can be extremely dangerous. So that is something which I must tell you. And otherwise, uh, if you take care of that aspect, basically, uh, I am very, very hopeful of the world which is to come. I think uh, if we are able to take care of our habits, if we are able to take care of our you know, greed in a way, uh, maybe even some basic things like greed and jealousy, if you are able to build our character into a stronger being, uh, science gives you a lot. A simple example is this coronavirus. You know, in a matter of a few days, we were able to crack its, its genetic code. And in a matter of a few months, we are well only about a few months from a vaccine now. So in, one, in less than a year, we'll be discovering a vaccine uh, if all goes well. And it seems like that. That has never happened in the past. It, take, it took decades to solve a vaccine. And we are on the cusp of at least claiming that it seems like in the three month or four month or five month cycle, we'll be able to get a vaccine. So science has solved a lot of our problems. You know, Science has made our life uh, much better. Technology is usually doing that. But at the same time, uh, in the wrong hands with the wrong idea, it can be extremely dangerous. And that is my biggest worry. You know, We should not become one, one uh, so this is the good part of it. One of the scary parts I have is, I don't want us to become victims of algorithms. Right, and that's a sort of a fight I have. Right, it's also a, a, an internal fight, and also something which I would like other people to also think about and project their ideas. Is that uh, we should not become victims of algorithm. We should not. We are not slaves of the Skynet. Right, and uh, in this case, the world, uh, you know, because the character issue is there, uh, technology without character. What's happening is that algorithm is owned by a small number of people. And using algorithm, a huge number of people are being governed and dictated to. Uh, all three of us belong to the other side, you know, the ones who do not own algorithm, who are owned by algorithm. So that is my biggest worry that uh, we should not become a society which is driven by algorithm because uh, that's not a happy place to be. It's not happy to be told by a machine on what to do and what should be done and what should not be done. It's just sad, right? So that's what I feel. and. Um, Let's see. In the world, I, I hope that youngsters like you can uh, keep this in mind. That sure. Do that. Hopefully. Okay. No, hopefully not. Yes, sure. I like the sure, but no, hopefully. Okay. Well, Sana is a more confident person than me, so yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, circling on the topic that you were talking about, you spoke about spirituality. Um, so we'd like to know what is your stance on religion and God? First of all, religion and spirituality are different things. Right. Correct. I believe spirituality is closer to science than religion, right? Okay. Because what does science say? Science says that you can choose your path uh, to achieve at a result. So you can have five ways to achieve, to solve a problem. Spirituality also says that there is a path and you can take it. And, and spirituality also says that there is not one right answer. That's where it departs from science, right? It says that there's no one right answer. There may be multiple right answers, depending on the one which you are seeking. Religion has got two parts, any religion. Right? It's got theology and it has got spirituality. So religion is part spirituality, not exactly spirituality. And if you look at theology of any religion, it is unique to it. 
you know somebody will say you pray this way somebody will say you pray that way somebody will say you fold your hands somebody will say expand your hands somebody will say you do shashtang somebody will say sunday is a holy day somebody will say friday is a holy day somebody will say tuesday is a holy day that's okay right somebody will say this book that book that book that book so each one has his own book names and and ways and culture and a large part of religion was invented as a social order and they were very essential by the way back in days when there was no police no military no no way to monitor people all the time uh, you know inducing the fact that religion could you know if, if religion could induce certain good behavior it was a great thing it was a way to achieve social order and it did a great job for thousands of years perhaps but then what is happening is that we are now entering into a world where theologies are fighting with each other because the world has mixed so earlier you are in india you live in indian maybe 0.001% of people became traders and they would go to foreign lands and that was true for any land not just india but when people have started mixing their theologies have started crashing you know they're clashing into each other and that is where the problem begins somebody says i want friday holiday somebody wants a tuesday holiday somebody wants a sunday holiday based on their religious belief so those that that heterogeneity in societies have has sort of given us a time where theologies are clashing into each other they are running anti parallel to each other and uh, in a way it's it's impossible to appease everybody right so religions have theologies and we should agree on a basic set of theology right so th- these are the ones which you must have these are the ones which do not clash with others and this is okay with you and this is okay with you and that's where a secular state or a constitution of any country should work look at the other side the other side is spirituality by and large spiritually if you look at spiritually all religions are same you know if if you replace god with x then all religions sound the same you know replace god with x replace uh, you know messenger avatar prophet with y and replace the book the holy book with z or z1 z2 z3 whatever and all religions will start sounding the same right they all say the same things in different ways the languages is different that's it so every no religion says that you should not uh, you know we should not uh, be respectful of elders every religion says that every religion says you should not hurt other people every religion says you should protect the innocent every religion says that you should live in harmony with the environment every religion says that you should you should uh, you know in your family you should be loyal and honest you should be loyal and honest to your friends and you should love your neighbor everybody says that right and somebody calls it commandment somebody calls it uh, whatever you know everyone has a name for it right so that's so if you just replace the proper nouns in every religion with x y and z they all sound the same today right and i think that's what we need to understand as evolved beings you know you you guys are obviously uh, have a higher education than the rest of the country uh, rest of the society actually you're in the top 0.1% and anybody who's hearing is probably in the same bracket you have to think beyond what the obvious things seem to be to to somebody who does not have that education and not only you have to do that you have to not only convince yourself you have to also be a, a sort of a messenger of this commonality of the of spirituality between religions if we could agree to that then i think the whole differences in theology would go away the problem is we focus too much on differences we focus on you know how we are different you know we tried anekta mein ekta bolte hain lekin pehle anekta ki baat karte hain ki alag kaise hain ekta nahi dekhte ki how we are same i don't think we are different we are all the same right is and by that logic every human is separate from the other and uh, if we could do that i think we could build a better society sometimes we tend to lose focus that's what i feel 
we tend to feel we are victims because we belong to a certain religion we tend to believe that you know and this is not just one religion i'm talking about i'm talking about every religion has has its own flavor of victimhood and i think that has to be taken care of uh, that is something which you need to grow over if you could do that i think a lot of problems would be solved religion by large is not a bad thing i am i may not be the most religious person on this planet but i do believe that religion has done great things for humanity it has uh, it has done not so good things as well but in totality all religions put together they have induced a social order i don't think without those identity of god and uh, whatever form of god you talk of whatever way of worship you talk we would have ever come close together we would have been limited to only a family or extended family before religions came before nations came religions came it was our first cohesive force right we as a human race species we got together the only thing was different humans were inventing different religions to do this and uh, and then we started mixing and then there's a problem so maybe in the globalized world where you know you are going to work in different countries you're going to you know your exchange will not happen this year but uh, if uh, it happened in a you know in a perfect world uh, last year which is if it happened then uh, you you might have mixed with people of different culture and that's how it goes and that is where the clash happens right so yeah. try to find commonalities in religion it's a very large topic because uh, uh, obviously it's a very important thing for a lot of people i understand that for some people it may matter a lot now you may not be the most religious person you may even be right. an atheist or an agnostic right whatever you are that's your belief and i absolutely respect your right to that in the same way you also have a responsibility to let somebody else who is more religious who is governed by those things to let it be you know sometimes you just let it be uh, science you know does not allow religion to come into or technology or whatever you call it science does not allow religion to come into or belief to come into its fray uh, we we don't like it in the same way i think we need not push science into every religion faith okay. is important and uh, let faith live uh, as long as it doesn't hurt someone right if it doesn't hurt someone including the person who is believing it if he doesn't do something stupid which harms him or her or his family or her family or the society in general or environment in general it's fine let people believe what they are thank you for joining us on this insightful podcast if you would like to know more about sejan's views on success and learnings that i am please visit our channel on anchor.fm to listen to the remaining part of the podcast and do follow our instagram handle sarci ima to know upcoming updates 